Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Father, we commit our time to you tonight in the word and I do pray, Lord, and even as we are reminded in a few minutes of your great grace to us, shed abroad in our hearts uh, by the giving of your Son. We're thankful for the gospel that penetrated and convicted our hearts. And, and Lord, we're thankful for that day and repentance and humility. We cried out, there's no other way but, but, but Christ. And thank you that you are the way, the truth, the life, and that you save sinners by grace. And as we are gathered around this table, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be elevated to praise you, to be careful about our lifestyle. Thank you for this ordinance of the church that's before us. I pray we take it seriously to live in the light of your soon return and to praise you with our days. Commit our time in the word to you in Jesus' name, amen. It's my privilege this week to go uh, back to my uh, Robbins home. We spent a lot of years in Indiana. I took a quick trip there, a couple, three days, and, and I spent uh, some time with my in-laws. It's been a few months since I've seen them. I always like to uh, show up. What we'll do is we'll fry some fish together. And then we uh, eat morel mushrooms. How many, just curious, how many know what a morel mushroom is? All right, mainly on this side. <laughs> but uh, they grow in the woods this time of year, and uh, they're very delicious when you roll them in butter, cornmeal, flour, I think anything is, but uh, we fry them up, and they're just wonderful. And so we got together, had the meal, caught up a little bit for a few minutes, and then they mentioned to me that uh, they, they uh, not far from them, there was a... Uh, a, a grand occurrence for their little town. They're north of Kokomo and Logansport, and then not far south of there is a little town called Galveston. I drove through it on the way to meet them, and uh, they said, Some, we got big news to share with you, son. And I said, what's the big news? I said, somebody in Galveston is now in the Guinness World Book of Records. I said, are you kidding me? In Galveston? What did he do? So he began to tell me the story of a man by the name of Alan McCloskey, recently inducted into the Guinness World Book of Records. I said, yeah, really? For what? What does he do? What, did he, what world record did he break? Well, my father-in-law, Doug, said, Doug Anderson said, well, I've stopped by to see him many times as he does his work. I said, well, what kind of, what, what has he done? And he said, well, he's a grave digger. And he has dug graves Longer than any other person in the world. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, and I said, Well, that's, that's, and they said, We went to his induction. They came down, the Guinness people came down, had a big ceremony. He's a humble guy. He said, I've stopped a lot of times while he's digging graves. And my father also says, He's just a friendly sort of fellow. 70 years, seven months, and 20 days. He broke the old record, and he is the, uh, world's uh, oldest and most uh, long grave, I don't know what the word is, but he's gra- dug graves for a long time. As you look at Numbers, you say, well, how are you going to get to the Bible from that? Numbers chapter 11, had Alan McCloskey lived in the day of Moses, he would have never run out of work. It does seem like those that were traveling from Egypt back to the promised land were always getting struck down by God for something right? They were always complaining. And God was, in fact, he, he eliminated a whole generation of folks that couldn't get Egypt out of their 
brains, and all they wanted to do was walk forward by looking backwards. That was their main skill. And God, in many ways, had to simply judge and eliminate those that had no heart for the promised land. Well, that's our text tonight, and we'll find a little bit about that in Numbers chapter 11, beginning, let's begin our reading in verse number uh, 31. And there went forth a wind from the Lord. We are about one year past uh, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and the people are moving towards the promised land. Uh, 2.5 million strong, it's about 1444 B.C., and there went forth a wind from the Lord, and brought quails of the sea, and let them fall by the camp, and as it were a day's journey on this side, and as were a day's journey on the other side. That's how far spread um, uh, this, this covering of quails that were landing in the camp. And, the, and, 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 of course, we're reading here in the King James, as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth, a cubit being what? 18 inches. So you're looking at 36 inches, about waist high, of quails. Look what it says. Um, and all the people stood up. They had been complaining that there wasn't enough variety in the diet. So the people stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. Now, the, the persons or persons that gathered the least gathered ten omers, and they spread them out abroad for themselves round about the camp. An omer being six bushels. How many of you have a little farm in your background? You know what a bushel is? About this big, this wide. Deep and wide, deep and so each the least that anybody gathered was was uh, was that 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 amount. That, so there's ten homers and a homer is six bushels, and they spread them or five hundred pounds. Somebody even calculated more than that. Nineteen hundred birds. Wow, that's a lot of food. And so while the flesh, verse thirty three, was yet between their teeth. It, Ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague, COVID-18. No, I don't know what it was. And he called the name of that place Kibroth Atava, because they uh, buried the people there that lusted or craved for the flesh of the, of the, the meat of the birds and the, just any kind of variety of the diet. And the people journeyed from Kibroth Atava unto Hezeroth and abode at Hezeroth. So tonight, we're going to look at some complaints that killed off a great number of people. We're not sure how many, but here was their complaints. Look at chapter 11 and verse 1. The complaining people always bothered the Lord, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and he hated it. His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost or the fringe parts of the camp. Did you know that your silent whining, silent complaining is heard by the Almighty God in heaven? He's got great hearing. When we complain, even in the uttermost part of the camp, where we think we're getting away with it, we're muttering things under our breath about the goodness of God. God hears it. What does the Bible say? God hates it. So about 30 miles northeast of Sinai is an interesting cemetery. It's called Kibroth Atava. We see it, of course, in verse 34, where they buried the multitude of those that complained about their diet. Tonight, we want to look at the, the dreadful, really, attitude of, of complaining. I know all of us fall prey to that. I do. I know our children did. And 
you know, it's easy as a church to get that way. In this text tonight, we're going to see four complaints. There were people that said, I want tastier food. I want nicer people. (laughs) I want easier burdens. And then I want a bigger God. We'll see these principles at the graveyard of the greedy. The graveyard of those that craved, or as verse 34 says of Hebrews, or excuse me, Hebrews, Numbers chapter 11, he called the name of that place Kibroth Atava because they buried the people that had intense longings. Uh, did you know that unless you conquer your lustings or your cravings, your cravings will kill you? That's the really the sounding danger of this text. Unless we learn to uh, control, self-control, and be grateful, it can be such a thing that our lack of thankfulness can turn into sinful attitudes that lead us to even losing our lives and being a part of this uh, cemetery spoken of here, at least in principle. You know that every funeral service was about the same that they had. Can you imagine those who were overseeing the funerals of that particular time? Here lies, and you can think of any, Jonah, or any Jewish name, Jonas or Eli or Abigail or Asher or Joram, Abijah. Here lies uh, uh, Johanna. They all died of one common problem. They couldn't handle their longings. Let's examine this text together and just ask the Lord to purify our hearts, which again is the fountain of our desires. The Bible tells us, It is from the heart that precede all these things. The people of Israel by this time, just so we can set the table a little bit, uh, by this time in Numbers 11, are leaving the mount, the base of the Mount Sinai. They have been there for one full year. God has used that place and the ministry of Moses to kind of organize the camp. The the law has been given. The blueprint for the tabernacle has been given. That has been built during this time. And the people there understand that Through the miracles of God, God has prepared them to be a nation that displays in a unique sense the glory of God to the rest of the world. No other nation has been given this stewardship. The Jews have been. And so God was really ordaining them, bringing them to a place where they would take that short walk across the, the desert to the place that God had promised them. And they were to be Uh, The people through whom God chose to reveal himself to the world. And that, by the way, is our purpose. I don't want you to detach yourself from any text of the Bible. Well, that's a nice Old Testament narrative. Did you know that you are the light of the world? Matthew 5 tells us that, verse 14. You're the light of the world. Uh, You're a city that is set on a hill. And we, too, must guard our hearts against clouding or darkening the very testimony that God wants to have through us. Proverbs 4, 23. Some of you could quote this verse. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In our text here, we see this large encampment. They're on the way, they're on the move. The first time in over a year, and after processing from Egypt to Sinai, they are now instructed to move forward. It's always stressful. You know this, it's always stressful to move anywhere. Imagine moving a family of 2.5 million. Everybody had to get their camp rolled up. And, and the Lord said when that fire moves or that, when that cloudy pillar over the tabernacle moves, everybody needs to get up and be ready to move. And so they're moving. It's only one year again after the exodus. 
a few folks within the community of travelers. We are told this uh, as we look at the text. A few were actually Egyptians that had married into the family of the Jews, or they were just simply friends and they wanted to escape. Remember the ten plagues that loosened the Jews from Egypt? And so they were just, they, they had a, an affinity, at least loosely speaking, to this God of the Jews. And so they were along part of the mixed multitude. I don't know what it is. The chapter 11 and uh, verse 1 says the people were complaining. It doesn't say specifically or explicitly what they're complaining about. It could be just the pain of moving a family. It could have been the heat. And I know later on we find out it's uh, partly the diet. But the Bible says in heaven God heard it and punished them for it by a fire. Look at chapter 11 and verse 1. His anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the fringe part, the uttermost part of the camp. It seems like that's where the origin or the, the worst part of this trespass was happening. Not right around the tabernacle, the Levitical servants, but way out there in the fringe corners. The people cried unto Moses, and Moses prayed unto the Lord, and mercifully the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taberah, or burning because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Here we are, and the Lord has heard the complaining and hated it, and there's been, I don't know whether it was a lightning strike or fire, actually fire itself that all of a sudden rattled through the camp, or human combustion. We don't know. The Bible isn't explicit, but God simply eliminated some of the corners of the camp that were displeasing the Lord, the fire of the Lord fell. And God simply wants us to know by that action how much He hates the common complaint. Let me ask you a question. In your life, are you known for always seeing the cup half empty? Are you, are you known for always having the gift, as we call it, of criticism? Do you have that, that spirit that's always picking on? Could have been better. Like Eeyore, probably going to rain. Maybe you're that kind of Christian. This is a great instructive text for us. It's only three days after the removal of God's people from the base of the mountain, and already a pattern is emerging that will continue until God simply says, I've had enough. <laughs> They complained all the way to the promised land, and when they got there, the spies came back and said, we can't do it. Take us back to Egypt. Kill that man, Moses. Well, we tend to complain when we forget our calling as a nation, as a people distinct and separate, called to the praise of his glory. We forget the great deliverance of, of our whole tribe and nation. I say that in terms of what happened to them. What happened to them? They were one of the mightiest miracles in all of the Bible had happened just one year ago. They had taken these people through the Red Sea, and of course the waters collapsed with the greatest army at that time in the world. How soon we forget that drives us to complain. And then thirdly, we minimize the privilege to be the people of God, the people with whom God resides. Have you ever thought about that, friend, that God is living in you? What a privilege. What a blessing 
to know tonight if you're a believer, God is in tabernacled in you. That's a great privilege. We forget that. And then fourthly, we become overwhelmed by our pain or present difficulties. The wilderness, the diet, the heat, this incessant moving from here to there, and we begin to look at the negatives in our life instead of focusing on what God has given us, and that's the recipe for unthankful attitudes. In a few moments, before we partake together as a church body, I'm going to ask you just to stand, not all of you, but as as God directs you, just stand and say, this is one thing that I'm thankful to God for. Whether it be an issue of your family or a recent blessing or perhaps in your daily devotions, I'm going to ask you, the antidote, the antidote, the medicine for a complaining heart is a thankful spirit. Often, (laughs) my father, when we were traveling around and we got to whining about something in the back seat, dad would just say, listen, change your attitude or I'm going to stop the car. We knew that nothing good (laughs) could come when daddy stopped the car. And it was amazing when dad looked in the rearview mirror and said, boys, change your attitude right now. How quickly our attitude changed. Parents, you know about that, don't you? I don't want to hear that anymore. Stop. Stop fussing. Stop crying. Change your, you're not going to die. Change your attitude and do it now. We are created by God for God and we are with God and shall return to God. Uh, so what shall separate us from the love of God? So notice these four cravings. Again, we'll go through them rather quickly tonight. Number one, the first complaint, verses four of chapter 11 is, I want, I want tastier food. The Bible says the rabble, the mixed multitude, verse 4, fell to complaining, fell to lusting, desiring, strong, physical desire. This, in this case, it's for food, better food. And the children of Israel wept again, saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? We are so tired of this manna. How many of you ever had manna? It's like tastes a lot like oatmeal. I'm old enough to remember. No, I, I'm not. But uh, it... I guess it's kind of the color of, of light golden. I don't know where they got the information, perhaps from historians that may have been there who knew a granddaddy who may have been. But it's a light golden substance that tasted like a honey wafer, kind of like something made in olive oil. But I don't know exactly. We're not given those details, but they were tired of it. Manna on Monday. Manna on Tuesday. Manna the whole week through. And they just got, here it came every day, just enough. And then one day a week, there was enough for two days so they could rest. And yet they got weary of it. Uh, and, and I, here's what they say. We remember, verse 5, the fish, which we did eat free in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, this is sounding better all the time, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. How many of you garlic lovers? Give yourself some room. Uh, they remembered all these wonderful spices and the, the flavors, but now who knew that food had a connection to your soul? Look at that, verse 6. But now our soul is dry. We're dying here. Moses, if we don't get some more variety in our diet, we're going we're gonna to dry. The word is to wither up. <laughs> I started by talking about 
mushrooms and fish. Shame on me. Here, here it is. Some of you have this favorite food that you remember from the homeland. Whatever. They, they remembered Egypt. And we're tired of this diet. We want better food. There's nothing at all. There's no Walmarts around besides this manna before our eyes. And again, the manna was a coriander seed, the color there was a color, uh, whatever that word is, bellium. And the people went about, gathered it, ground it in milk. There was different ways to prepare it. God was creative in that. They were too. But it was still manna. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it, and the people began to weep. We want, we want tastier food. There's an attitude of discontent in the camp because of the daily provisions of the Lord. It was, in fact, to them, boring. How many of you have gone through a spell in your life where you are just settled for to the point where you think God's ways to you are boring. I got to read the Bible every day, go to the church, same church, sit by the same people, and I'm kind of in this humdrum cycle in life, and I just, I want something else, something better, something different. It was that impulse that raised the hand of Eve to pick that fruit that dazzled in the tree, something new, different, exciting. Of course, the devil added to the impulse by saying, what does God know? Husbands thinking that God has been somehow to you uh, a person that has withheld from you what's best. And you're tired of your family, you're tired of your marriage. So this desire for something else better, we think, something more different, can drive us to wanting what God doesn't want us to have. So lusting for something different, our curiosity can drive us to a place where it kills us and drives us to this graveyard of the greedy. So there was a few that simply thought, I want taste your food. Then there were others that said, I, I want to be around nicer people. Look at verse 10. I invite you to that, that verse in your text before you, Numbers chapter 11, verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Here we see it again, the reference to God in heaven, upset because of the nursery <laughs> known as the children of Israel. My girl calls us, Whitney, from Salt Lake City, and she will often put the kids on speakerphone. We love that. There's three in her house now, praise the Lord. A little newborn infant, one that's not quite two, Asa. Uh, there's Jude, Asa, and then Callan, who's five. And every once in a while, one will start crying. And that incites the next one to cry. And then all three. Have you all worked in the nursery lately? Some of you need to sign up just to remember what it's You young parents know all about the, the chorus that comes when three, just think about three babies crying and we have to say to Whitney, Whitney, would you please hang up and call us later? <laughs> it's, we, can't even, we can't even hear you. And this is what we say, be warmed and filled, bless your heart. We did our time. And she says, no, they'll get over it. Sometimes they do, after a good paddling. And that's for the record. Sometimes they need a good, a good paddling. But in this case, the Bible says that every man 
was in the door of his tent. Now, this is not three children. There are 2.5 million, and a majority of them are wailing. Can you imagine the sound of that? <laughs> Adults crying for better food. And, and, and here's what the response is of Moses. He's, he's saying basically, verse 11, Moses said to the Lord, I would like some better people. Have you, why have you afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight that thou uh, layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I brought them to life? Did I bring them into this world? <laughs> have I begotten them that they should say, carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth a suckling child? Lord, do you hear what I hear? When should I give flesh to these people? For they weep to me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I'm not able to bear this. It's too heavy for me. And if you don't mind, verse 15, if thou deal thus with me, just go ahead and kill me. I pray thee, out of hand, if I have not found favor, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my... He says, this is probably, Lord, a bad idea, but I'm so tired of it that you might as well just... I resign, I quit, take me out of the picture, go ahead and kill me now. Because this is, this is only one year and three days after we left Egypt, and, and I cannot take it anymore. Parents, don't raise your hand now, but have you had those moments? Sunday school teachers, pastors, have you had those moments where you just said, Lord, I... I'm a shepherd, but I cannot stand the smell of sheep. This is horrible. This sound is terrible. I want to be around nicer people. So many complaining, weeping folk. Every man, verse 10. Lord, why am I afflicted by you? Lord, why am I disfavored by you? Why am I overburdened by you? Why did you lay this burden upon me? This was not my idea I was doing pretty well in Midian. Thank you very much. Lord, I didn't bring them into the world. This wasn't my plan. So if you don't mind taking me out of the nursery, go ahead and kill me. I must say that this sort of spirit, even though often we soldier on in ministry, can be affecting all of us. There comes a point when we leave spouses and churches and children and move out of neighborhoods because we simply cannot stand the charge or the stewardship God has given us to love the unlovely. Pray for pastors, and we pray for you as parents. There are some long days. But isn't it great to know that wherever God calls us, there's the place where he can sustain us. And give us a love, often we pray, Lord, give us a love for even those that are unlovely and unthankful. He wanted to be around nicer people. There's the idea where we ask the Lord to purify our attitude of discontent or disassociation. And then there's the attitude of disdain. Uh, not only does the, the text tell us there was this attitude where I want tastier food or I want nicer people. Thirdly, I want easier burdens. Verse 11, uh, Lord, why have you given me this, layest the burden of this people upon me? 
Paul would speak of the burden of the churches that he ministered to. We have a pastor, more than one, in our, in our hearing tonight, and there is that heavy burden, stewardship of leadership. And here he says, why have you put this burden of all the people upon me? Maybe you feel like uh, today your burdens are too heavy to bear. Verse 14, he says, it is too heavy for me. I want nicer, a better diet. I want nicer people. I can't handle the load that you have given me. And I know that in the back of Moses' mind, I know this. He has a checklist of how heavy his burden is. Do you have one of those that you share with the Lord from time to time? Lord, I want you to, want you to know what I'm doing here for you. Have you ever reminded the Lord of how heavy your burden is? What does he tell you to do with your burden? Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain you. It doesn't necessarily say, whine about it. He, he says this in his back of his mind, I've, since we've left Egypt, and that wasn't easy, Lord. If you remember, you called me to stand before the tyrant Pharaoh and go toe-to-toe with him. Remember how that wrung us out, the ten plagues, And then, Lord, I've here at the mountain, I've articulated the law, numbered the people, I've organized the camp by tribe. I've uh, spoken with you on the mountain about the tabernacle. We've built that according to the plan. We've structured the priesthood. We've ordered the sacrificial system. We've put down the rebellion at the golden calf. We've given marching orders to two million people. And now... This, if it keeps on coming, Lord, this will be the straw that breaks my back. And I don't want any more. No more. No more. I don't want any more. Lord, if you keep on treating me this way, go ahead and take me out. Dismiss me out of hand. Maybe you've been there. Where you're just so tired of carrying the burdens. I think of a lot of you and the burdens you carry. My heart goes out to you. Don't get discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Be anxious for no thing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto the Lord. He will sustain you. I've told you before about the ministry of Anne Sullivan. I often go to the Lord and pray for the burdens in our church and the burdened ones. And my mind tonight is going to a lonely room in Arkansas where there's a man that we love who's blind, who is carrying burdens in his heart, wishing he was here, perhaps. I know his family wishes he was. But Ann Sullivan took care of a lady. I've mentioned she was only 20 years old when she did this. Helen Keller, you know the story probably better than I do, but Helen became uh, her project for life. Helen was, of course, born blind and deaf. As a result, she could not speak. She was uh, mute as well. Um, And so here she was in a dark world, and if it weren't for Ann Sullivan, who became her burden bearer, Helen Keller would be lost to history. 
but with patience and long-suffering, she helped Helen associate physical objects and words by pouring water on one hand and writing the word water in her other hand. Slowly, Helen, who was very spoiled, belligerent, stubborn, unthankful, began to learn words, and then Braille, and then Ann Sullivan, in spite of the detractors, in spite of Helen Keller's own egregious or kind of a cantankerous spirit, decided she was going to take Helen Keller, of all places, to college. She sat with her in every class, every class, bearing her burdens. Hours of patience finally brought Helen to a day when she graduated, became the first deaf blind person to graduate from college. What patience this lady had in being the, the really the burden bearer for Helen Keller. We all need folks to bear our burdens, but the Lord tells us we are to bear our burdens carefully without complaining or whining. The Lord is able. We are to rejoice. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Philippians 4, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Are you known in our church, are you, as the person with the biggest smile? The person with the first one to encourage. You're the first one to encourage. The person that you can tell on your face you love the Lord and you want others to love the Lord. The person who may be under the greatest weight or burden, and yet you're bearing it graciously. What a testimony. Well, even Moses got to the place where he said, I just don't know if I can go on. And there's one more thing that kind of spurred this complaining spirit where we begin to doubt God himself. Well, even God can't fix this problem. And I call this, not only do I need better food or nicer people, lighter burdens, I need a bigger God. Verse 18 says this, Say thou to the people, sanctify yourselves tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, what were they saying? Who shall give us in the desert, in the wilderness, who is powerful enough to give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. <laughs> what a statement, a sinful statement, really. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. I can see him up in heaven as he begins to kind of, in his anger, say, you want to prove God? I'm going to prove something now. The God that can get you through the Red Sea can surely prepare a table before you in the wilderness. And then comes the idea where God would bring, or really, we don't know how God did it. It doesn't matter. God did it. But he brought these quail-like birds to the camp, and not only a few, but enough for everyone to have 500 pounds worth of meat up to their waist. They were just buried in in, in quails and in food. And the Lord said, I'm going to do this for you. You shall not eat, verse 19, one day or two, nor five days, nor ten, but nor twenty, but a whole month until, you see if the Lord's a little bit uh, upset here, until it comes out of your nostrils and be loathsome unto you. He's treating the scorners with scorn because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you and you have wept before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? And Moses said, here's the doubt, the doubt of Moses himself. The people among whom I am are 600,000. That's just men. 
And thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. <clears throat> and, and Moses asked a question. You see the question, verse 22? Shall the flocks of the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall the fish of the sea, all the fish of the sea, be gathered together for them to suffice them? And the Lord said to Moses, a good, good verse to underline, is the Lord's hand waxed short that thou shalt... That Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass to thee or not. When we begin to doubt God's goodness and His faithfulness and His ability to do what He's asked us to do or to sustain the ministry, when we begin to doubt that, God is not at all pleased with us. And I've got to tell you, there are times when, as a pastor, I look at our ministry and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know how you're going to sustain our church and our school. I don't know how. But I am reminded of the goodness and the power of God. So it is wrong to doubt. It's wrong to despair. It's wrong to disassociate. It's wrong to be discontented. All that leads to complaining. And here we see Moses complaining to God a bit himself. Lord, how are you going to do this? Now Moses had seen and led the people through the Red Sea. So this spirit affects any one of us. Moses, Lord, I, I, I know you're saying that, that you're going to provide for us for a whole month, but I don't know how you could do this. Ever looked at your bank account? The college students here, some of you wondering how God is going to provide for you years ahead. Isn't it good when God surprises us and we say, Lord, after the fact, we knew you could do it, but before or in the midst of it, I doubt it's going to happen. All of us uh, fall prey to complaining. And our church needs that spirit that is just a spirit full of faith. We can, we can trust the Lord to be who He promises to be. He can prepare for us a table even in the presence of our enemies. Lord, I've said this, You surely can do things in other places, in other churches, but Lord, I don't know if You can do it here. Oh, listen. Don't weary the ear of God. Don't sadden His heart. Say, Lord, do great things in our day, on our watch, on my pew. I want to tell you something. I'm so thankful for something. that I, This is my testimony before we share together around the table. This has been a blessing to me this week, and, and I wanted to share it with you. Uh, there's a couple that's been coming a couple weeks, and uh, they've been sitting up here, and I got a call that uh, from the husband, uh, Earl, that his wife, Carol, has, uh, has cancer, and, and uh, the, the diagnosis is that it's pretty critical. And so he prayed, and he said, listen, he, he said, I, I just need you to pray with me and for our family. And, and he says, I want to be more faithful in church. We're not sure that we're even ready for end-of-life issues, and we're certainly facing that. She is. And, and Pastor, if you don't mind, we'd like to be more faithful in church, and we'd like to, if we could, talk to you in the near future. And so I said, that would be wonderful. And they sat down with me this week. Seventy, in the early 70s, and said, we've been going to church um, not much recently. Early in life we did, but we've just gotten out of the habit. And, and I asked him what their spiritual condition was, and Earl said, I, I don't know for sure. And I said, well, would it be all right if I take a Bible and just 
share not my opinion, but what God says about how to have a relationship with him? Sure, they said. They were here this morning. We went through the plan of, simple plan of salvation with them, and both of them prayed to receive Christ. And I want to tell you, uh, the Bible said there's more joy in heaven over the retrieval of a sinner than over 99 that don't need or know they need anything. How thankful I was for that moment. In our school, we've had many this year come to Christ. God is doing great things, and it's so easy, isn't it? So easy for us. It's kind of a family time tonight. It's so easy for us to only look at the empty pews and say, I don't know, God can do this. We're in trouble. I want you to look at a God who's faithful, doing great things, even in our watch. We have a couple over here, young, people, young men. And I hope uh, these thoughts, uh, they come on Sunday mornings, but Tamlin is so excited about the things of the Lord. And he's brought his wife, his, wife, his mom to church. And he's, and he's brought his friend, Matt. Matt's a piano tuner. He's coming to church whenever they can. And just a hunger for God. Folks, we, we need to lavish our love on these opportunities and prospects. And I wonder if we're in this mode of probably not going to happen here, not on our watch, revival's never going to touch us, or are we in this, Lord, thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you want to do. I'm praying, Lord, not to be part of the band that says it will never happen. Rather, I want to be part of the number that says, by God's grace and God enabling me, I want to be part of the harvest in this moment. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.